you know, as a, a new entrepreneur, I had to justify to myself, well, it's not a failure if you pivot. There's this, like early on, you think, if I can't make the original idea as I envision it work, that's a failure. No, it's not. Of course things evolve. We're on a mission. We're going to find and uncover the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs on the planet. Explore their highs, their lows, and how they ultimately mastered the game. I'm Martin Cook, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Smarter Destiny podcast. I'm grateful for you and your time. Now let's level up together. Ladies and gentlemen, a big warm welcome to another Smarter Destiny podcast, this time with my good friend, Kurt Elster. You may know Kurt from one of the most popular podcasts on um, Shopify and e-commerce, kind of on the planet with over 1 million downloads. What you might not know is that he actually teaches the stuff as well. He is a consultant for e-commerce businesses and a darn good one with some great clients that we're going to get into in this particular podcast. If you are interested in uh, learning more about e-commerce, generally getting helping e-commerce, Kurt's a great guy to speak to. And so that, amongst a lot of other reasons that we're going to get into in the podcast is why I am so excited to have Kurt as our special guest today. Kurt, how are you? I'm well. Hey, you may want to put your phone in airplane mode. Hmm. Did you hear that ping? All of it. And the vibration. The vibration as well. Yeah, because you know it's on the I'm guessing it's on the desk <laughs> and the arm is mounted to the same surface. Do you know what? I've never been told off in the in the first couple of minutes of a podcast. Normally, it happens later on. So um, now I consider myself told. I normally have everything on Do Not Disturb. It is on Do Not Disturb now, Kurt. We will not be disturbed. Go. We will not be disturbed. So where in the world are you right now? I'm in Skokie, Illinois, which is 20 minutes from downtown Chicago. Nice. I like Chicago. I found your your pizzas to be um, completely, or your pizza pies to be just really really confusing that they seem small and yet they're like a brick in your stomach that fills you up very very quickly yeah the catch with a deep dish pizza is number one you can't eat it like a pizza you need a knife and fork (laughs) two it's you're eating one maybe two slices if you're a glutton for punishment and uh three i really i think the only time i eat them is when uh, guests from out of town come in and they're like let's get some of that chicago pizza that's so famous i'm like oh here we go (laughs) And do you do you, do you, does your stomach actually reply for you? Kind of, kind of like that. Yeah, well, you? Yeah, in my twenties, it was like, all right. Now I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and how old are you in months, Kurt? <laughs> I believe I'm 438 months or 36. Wow, look at that! Years, That's really quick yeah. maths, really quick maths. And it's so, a, uh, <laughs> go on, go on. I said it's almost as if I'd looked it up earlier. It's almost as if we were discussing it earlier on, wasn't it? Anyway, so, um, Kurt, as I said, uh, absolute uh, pleasure to have you on um, this podcast. And um, those of you who are listening but not not watching this podcast, um, you may be blown away by the sound quality of Kurt and just how professional <laughs> um, he sounds. And those of you on the video may have a slight indication why um um what we're seeing ahead of us uh, in front of us is a what looks like a completely soundproofed room real professional setup um with kurt have have you done this before kurt (laughs) yes yeah uh so i would say i started my own podcast five years ago and part of it was i just wanted an excuse to buy audio gear and we started with a 30 dollar microphone first but over time, the, the setup has gotten progressively more ridiculous until we're at, like, broadcast-level stuff here. Um, if you want, I actually I put together a, a guide on it, mm-hmm. kurtelster.com slash gear, if you want to throw that in the show notes. 
Definitely, I definitely will. Thank you very much for that. And so, right, what we typically do on here, because we want to learn about you. We want to hear your story. We want to understand why you made the decisions you made that have led you on this very, very successful journey. And so what we typically do is we pick a, a logical point in the past and start with that. Is there a time in your past, a logical starting point, whereby um, there was maybe a little bit of conflict? Maybe you were transitioning as a person, maybe you were evolving like a Pokemon. Was there a time in your past uh, that, that makes sense to start with? And if so, please could you paint us a word picture? Certainly. So uh, not long after graduating, I found myself as a uh, e-commerce channel manager for a local auto parts drop shipper. And it made sense. I had a lot. I had an eBay side hustle that had gone on for uh, many years. And so I knew that platform I knew business, I knew digital, and I knew um, I needed to pay the rent. So I, I took this gig, and I did for a year, and I learned a lot with a, a young guy who's an entrepreneur, and it was fun, because I'm a, a car guy, and they sold car parts. But I also knew by working for someone else, by not being an entrepreneur, I felt like I was, I was betraying myself. And that, it was one of those things where you just try and bury it, and it makes it worse and worse, until one day, going to work, I will never forget it, was putting on my, my Converse All-Stars, tying my Chuck Taylors, and broke down in tears by myself. And I knew, all right, this isn't working. I got to quit this job. But I didn't actually have a plan. And so I quit, and I was so excited about my new journey with no plan. I gave seven days notice instead of the traditional 14. Uh, and then the next day in the shower, got the brilliant idea, not knowing what I didn't know, said, I'm going to build my own e-commerce platform. And so I asked a, a friend who had been, this was in 2009, so it's like right when we were still struggling with the, the recession, um, if he would join me in building an e-commerce platform. He'd been laid off from an agency as a developer. He said, yeah, sure. And so we, we did that and quickly discovered, oh, it's a lot harder than we thought. And I wanted to build, keep the lights on. So we uh, started building brochure sites uh, for local businesses. And I remember selling, like the first one I sold was like 700 bucks. And I'm like, this is criminal. <laughs> And then I sold one for $2,000. I'm like, impossible. Um, but we rapidly worked our way up and uh, were doing fulfillment for big creative agencies in Chicago. So we worked on stuff for Verizon, the NFL, Hilton Hotels. And it was uh, one of those large projects that we finally, after a few years of doing that, said, man, we don't, we shouldn't work with agencies anymore. We shouldn't be doing this. We should focus where we We've been having this, the most success where we always go, oh, well, that was fun and easy. Well, it's not as easy as that we're good at it. And that thing was building e-commerce sites for local businesses. And one of those was uh, a Shopify store. And we, uh, or a, a friend who owned a bike shop. And in building, again, not knowing what we didn't know, which can be an advantage doing these moonshot things, without ever having touched the platform, I'm like, let's just build our design and develop our own custom theme. Well, Shopify was very small at the time. They noticed that you should join this partner program we have and we'll make you, we'll put you in this experts listing because clearly you know what you're doing. Would you be interested? Well, yeah, of course. And we started getting leads through that. And it just, it took a, a while for me to finally go, well, we should just only be doing this thing that we enjoy and like and is good and focus only on that. So about five years, that was at that point then five years ago, it took me five years to figure this out. Uh, we said, all right, we're exclusively doing Shopify and that's that. And within 60 days of that, I had people, I was getting referrals from people I didn't know to people I didn't know going, hey, I know you're the Shopify guy. It's like, that's the power of niching down. Like that, there's the lesson in that story. 
Wow, I love that. And so um, you you found yourself now building Shopify stores, and 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 you said you you were looking. You set out initially to build a platform. When you say a platform, do you mean literally you were going to build your own Shopify? Yes. Yeah, we were going to build an e-commerce platform, um, and that's where our agency name is EtherCycle. It came from a portmanteau of Ethernet and bicycle. The idea was to build an e. The original idea was to build an e-commerce platform. I still remember registering the domain name in a Starbucks in the Gold Coast a decade ago. Um, was to build a a e-commerce platform specific to bike shops because we had experience there. We had connections there. You know, you always even then I knew like man, leverage your advantages. Um, and so, but you know, building an e-commerce platform and trying to get that industry on board with it at the time was very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, Shopify is very large. Um, I spent a lot of money. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 definitely um, a, a, a challenging um, a challenging uh, task to do. But there are plenty of um, competitors out there. And so you 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 said we you and your business partner did he quit the um, the dropshipping auto car um, company at the same time as you, or, or how did how did he join the journey? He had been working at uh, a large digital agency as a JavaScript developer, and they laid him off. Well, a similar time to when you left. Yeah, it was just happened to be at like around the same time. Ah, fantastic. And so you you found yourself, um, and so this was five years ago. And of course, um, you know, I can tell by your branded microphone that, that EtherCycle is still a part of your um, your journey right now. And so um, tell us a little bit about um, how that um, that particular uh, business transitioned and particularly the ways that you generated leads for this business transitioned. Sure. So initially, like when we finally, what happened was uh, we had gotten a, a sweetheart deal on office space in a, a suburb uh, that we grew up in and it was prominent and really just having that office space, we had local businesses knock on the door, misunderstanding what we do or call and going, uh, hey, we need help with our website. And I was like, we don't do that. Click. Meanwhile, I'm making no money. <laughs> so eventually, it's like after 10 months of not being able to get the first thing off the ground, just to pay the rent, to keep the lights on, I was like, all right, let's start building some brochure sites. And I'm like, well, that's a side hustle and it's a distraction. But it was the thing that made money. So at some point, I go, wait, I should pivot to just doing this. And I remember when we first did it, it was incredibly freeing. But I had to like, you know, I was a, a new entrepreneur. I had to justify to myself, well, it's not a failure if you pivot. There's this, like, early on, you think, if I can't make the original idea as I envision it work, that's a failure. No, it's not. Of course things evolve. Everything evolves. You're learning from what you're doing and improving on it. Even if that means, like, wildly pivoting, you're still in a similar space. Um, and when we did that, that we we're very much generalists. So we were doing uh, WordPress and e-commerce stuff and a bunch of e-commerce platforms. And I knew that the frustration with doing traditional design is it's very subjective. So you can make a brochure site for someone. They go, well, my dog doesn't like blue. And so you can't have any blue on it. And you're like, okay. You, know, you get that sort of thing. Whereas with e-commerce, measuring success, justifying things is very easy because you go, all right, well, this is what's going to convert best. This is what's going to make you money. Are we agreed that the goal here is to make money? Yes. Okay, let's do this, right? And then you could see after the fact if it worked. Oh, conversions went up. Average order value went up. You made an extra hundred grand this year. Amazing, right? So there was that the level of of satisfaction of reporting of uh, just um, enjoyment with doing the e-commerce work was where I like it was easy to go. Well, this is where we should be working. 
And we did, we were lucky to be able to work on a few platforms at that time. And so I said, I got an idea. Let's make a productized offering. And so the productized offering was, hey, if you have an existing site, we'll go through and essentially do like um, a UX audit and then implement our recommendations. And we'll do it with like a 10-day turnaround. It's very cool. Um, and I think it was like $2,000. And so I took, I made, I registered websiterescues.com and I had a sales page up there. And then I made variations on it specific to every like 10 e-commerce platforms. Back then you could just buy Google ads inexpensively and send traffic to it that was qualified. So I was able to quickly book a bunch of projects on different platforms and discover rapidly like, all right, we Shopify is definitely the one that we prefer. So um, after, a, uh, I don't know how long it was, but very quickly, you know, I I got over my stigma of pivoting. I'm like, all right, we're just doing Shopify. And that was, yeah, hitch my cart to the right horse. That was an excellent decision. Okay, so so finally you found you found this um, space, you niched down um, and you, you discovered that Shopify is where it's at and um, very, very smart. You'd um, realize that you're able to actually quantify the results um, for your clients rather than, as you said, creating a site and the client saying the site's rubbish because my dog prefers blue um, or, or, or something, something strange like that, which you can't really argue with, I guess. And so you've now... Um, so you've now uh, pivoted, like you said, and you've made peace with it. And um, EtherCycle is now um, helping Shopify store owners make more money, as well as getting people set up on Shopify. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Wicked. And so how did that um, progress onwards? Like, How did you start uh, spreading the word? Because you're now getting known as the Shopify guy. How did you um, sort of add some, uh, some gasoline to that particular fire? So I think there were three things that happened. Like certainly number one, being early helped. But if there is someone listening who goes, wow, I wish I had jumped on Shopify then, I still believe it's a blue ocean. Like certainly there's more people now, but there are more entrepreneurs signing up than ever. And the I, I think there's there's huge opportunity there. And I'll tell you right now, if I were to jump in today, this moment, the thing I would look at is building apps for their point of sale system. No one's doing it that thing they just reinvented it it is getting tremendous adoption that's if you want to make with shopify make money with shopify today build an app for the point of sale system there you go interesting um, so you're yeah. talking to the developers in the audience there right to, to yeah build. there's yes and what sort of yeah. apps do you think might do really well um so point of sale so, so for anybody that doesn't know a point of sale and it may be me so correct me if i'm wrong a point of sale is a way of taking money when you're not in fact on a website so if you were if you're selling things out in register. the real world like yeah, a cash, a cash register in a business is a point of sale. Um, the so they make they they have a a point of sale platform that like runs on an iPad and has a reader and it's very cool. Um, but I have a I'll give you an example. The uh, a friend make a friend of mine makes an app. It is a time clock app that runs on top of this. That thing does tremendously well because no one was doing that, and that's a thing business owners need. So really, it just comes down to. Can you interview and find pain points for those customers? So if you could find them, you could talk to them. And that's where the joy of the internet comes in. You could post in a Facebook group, right? And ask. Um, it could be very helpful. And uh, do you know what? I, I absolutely echo what you're saying. I mean, um, it's still a blue ocean because e-commerce isn't going anywhere, right? Like people, people are going to continue to buy things on the internet. In fact, 
we may see more people buying things on the internet, particularly as something like a third of the world, a quarter of the world still isn't even online yet. Um, you know, we are definitely going to see uh, more adoption of e-commerce and Shopify as one of the premium, uh, as one of the, uh, sorry, forefront um, e-commerce providers um, is surely going to see a lot of that adoption. Ultimately, people are going to sell stuff. And if you've got something good to sell, you can probably sell it online. Um, so I totally echo what you're saying there, Kurt. And so how did that um, lead on um, to, because I mean, you're, you, you know, you're the host of um, like the most popular um, unofficial Shopify podcast, you know, with over a million dollar, uh, million downloads. And I mean, how did that transition? How did you go from helping people start and scale Shopify stores to being very well recognized, not just for your camouflage jacket? Um, podcast host. Well, here I'll tell you the craziest part about this. I was in. I I view myself as a recovering introvert. I was introverted. It's social anxiety disorder. The first time I recorded a podcast, I had to do two shots of whiskey and was sweating profusely. Right. So it it, it certainly has been a uh, a journey of, of personal development. Um, initially, I was a guest on podcasts. I would I did one. It was not a complete abomination, and I had the audacity to ask for an introduction to, I said, hey, if you're looking for other guests, you know, tell me what your ideal guest is. I can introduce you to someone, knowing it would be like someone like myself, an agency owner. And uh, you know, if you know any other podcast hosts looking for guests, let me know. And so you've got that exchange of value there. And doing that, I was able to get myself, like, just, I just kept going like that until I got myself on a dozen podcasts. And repeatedly... People at the end said, oh, you're, I'd say, how'd that go? They said, oh, you're really good at this. You should do your own podcast. And I wasn't asking, hey, should I do my own podcast? They were volunteering that. So I thought, you know, multiple strangers offering that advice unsolicited, probably there's some grain of truth there. So I uh, thought, all right, we'll start a podcast. And I want an excuse to buy a microphone, but man, I don't want to have to edit one. And like editing it really, that scares me. And I was talking about this um, to my, my business partner. And he goes, oh, you know, I used to edit the podcast for The Onion, for the AV Club. I said, The Onion being that big satirical newspaper. I said, no, I did not know that. <laughs> so that kind of knocks out my sole objection. <laughs> and so I, I bought a $30 microphone and uh, he edited the podcast in Audacity. And that was that. We interviewed a client that I was good friends with as our first episode. It's, I go back and listen to it. It's very painful. Um, and we got like 200 downloads in the first month. And then the next month, 500 downloads, and then 800. And it just kept going until now we get 40,000, 50,000 downloads a month. Um, really, like the thing I noticed that is the big, one of the early mistakes we made was not releasing on a regular schedule. You know, I still don't quite understand this, but if you want people to subscribe and stick with it, you need to have, it comes out on this day at this time, no matter what. And that, that was an early mistake we made, was it just kind of was like, Eh, this one's Tuesday. Next week it's Thursday, and we it it took like like twenty episodes before we figured it out. And so, what other um what other pearly um pearly nuggets of wisdom um, do you have for anyone looking to start a podcast like that? Well, I think if you're going to start a podcast, number one, the first episode, first couple episodes, are probably going to suck. It's a skill. You're going to get better with it over time. Um, don't obsess over the audio quality. The audio great quality helps or great quality doesn't hurt. Bad quality doesn't help. Um, I have listened to uh, some 
some podcasts that just have like atrocious quality but are popular. So I wouldn't obsess over the gear. I would obsess over this is the format. This is what we're going to do. Like just get the gear out of the way and just focus on the content. And early on, it's just going to be you're just going to be experimenting and trying things and figuring out what works. Um, you're giving it away for free. I mean, the worst, like if someone like really hates it, you can offer them a full refund, right? It's not a big deal if you make mistakes. Um, and I wish if I had to do it over, I wish we had released multiple episodes to start with. I've heard over and over that that helps when you're initially building that audience. It can help get you into new and noteworthy, which is a great way to really jumpstart that initial audience building. So rather than start with one episode, you start with like three to five to show like, hey, this is a thing and to get people hooked and interested. Um, And certainly like it's definitely time consuming, but you get faster and better at it over time. Yeah, absolutely. I I would echo at least the parts of that that I've experienced and then the more wisdom stuff I appreciate and uh, and like. And so what do you attribute getting um, even 200 downloads like right off the bat with your first episode? What what do you attribute um, your your growth right off the bat um, to? So the initial audience uh, was finding people was like the initial people is probably the newsletter. Like I had, I probably had less than a thousand people on my newsletter when we launched it. So I suspect that's where it came from. Um, and then really, uh, these podcast networks, like that's its own, you know, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, they are search engines so that there is a, the same things that you might apply to SEO in terms of like, all right, we're going to put keywords in here. We're going to make very attractive, uh, descriptions and cover art. Like that's, I wish we had had better cover art when we first started. That's what's going to get people to click through. Soliciting for reviews is going to help get people to click through. Um, So like initially it was like, all right, let's just, you know, I asked people to write reviews and we got like 10 or 20. Over time now when, you know, I get friendly emails uh, every day or every other day, like, oh, I heard your podcast. I love it. So interesting. And then ask a question. I'll respond with, well, thank you. Here's the answer to your question. And would you mind you know, leaving a review? And so actively soliciting it, it helps a lot. Um, but that's social proof. Just as in e-commerce, you need that, that social proof for people to, to invest the time in listening to an episode makes perfect sense and so right back then so so you you've been on um on your podcast tour and was there any anything else to it as to getting booked on all of these different shows other than just saying hey do you know someone else that is looking to interview someone well once they introduce you to someone you need to give them a choice of yeses so you say um the number one hey i uh i'm a good guest here's a an example of a past show that you can listen to. So that way they know like, all right, this guy can actually string a sentence together. Um, I'll usually tell people uh, I've got a good microphone and I could find a quiet place to record. Like they want to know that it's, I'm not going to go record with uh, my, with a pair of AirPods next to uh, the furnace in my basement. Right. It seems like guests often, often like to go record next to their furnace. And the most important part is you go, here are three topics I could speak to that may be of interest to your audience. Tell me which one makes sense. And that's like just a regular sales tactic. You don't say, give them a yes, no proposition. You give them a choice of yeses. And that can, um, you just want to knock out all those barriers. So now I've evolved this to the point. I have a whole landing page that's like, makes the case for putting me as a guest on your podcast. It's like, all right, here's my background. Here's 10 sample questions you can use to start with. Here's 10 trivia facts. So you can make it sound like we've been friends for years. Here's my headshot. Here's my bio. 
here's past episodes go i love that and so why um why was it important to you to get booked on um shows and and clearly still is what's the thing you need that? well that's that's pr that's outreach that's you if you can get in front of other people's audiences you're going to some of those people are going to join your audience and so it's an easy way to provide value it's an easy way to meet people um but it certainly like me being a guest on your podcast is much better than i record a 20 minute monologue video in which i extol my journey like uh, yeah i don't necessarily know that i want to do that or that anyone wants to listen to it so it's just it's easier it's more fun to do it this way i agree and i'm glad that you are um still podcast touring um but uh, i was still curious to to know uh the 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 kurt what reason why most like. i'll say no to m- most opportunities opportunities in air quotes are very one-sided it's like hey let me buy you a beer and i'll pick your brain all right so i'm gonna lose an hour of time that i could be spending with my family to hang out with you well you just ask get free consulting in exchange for an eight dollar beer like cool. that's not a great that opportunity i'm gonna say no to Versus podcasting, it's all right. We're gonna have. I'm gonna potentially have a meaningful, interesting one-on-one dialogue with someone, and the side effect of that is potentially thousands of people listen to it and they get value out of it too. Like it becomes a. And then for the host, they're creating content and value for the audience. So I love it because it is such a um, an egalitarian value system. Like everybody wins in this scenario. Absolutely. And, um, you know, they're a lot of fun. Um, I'm certainly curious about where you're going that serves $8 beers. Maybe maybe, maybe it's just the exchange rate or something. I mean, I wouldn't stretch it. <laughs> if I bought you a beer, it'd be one of those. It'd probably still, it'd still be in a can or something like that. But I would mean it. I would, I would be, you know, <laughs> hand it over with love. It would be a meaningful can <laughs> of PBR. Yeah, which we would share. Um, so... <laughs> Oh um, no! So I, definitely, that was a tangent. We do that on this show. It's absolutely fine. And so, uh, so you're you're now at this stage where your your podcast. You're like, hmm, I'm onto something here. We're growing. We're getting bigger. What kind of growing pains did you go through? Um, with the the podcast or with the the business in general? Well, I think both, really, because uh, I guess they're pretty intertwined, right? Yes, I think the in. Both the number one problem is uh, you need to have a red velvet rope policy. So I'm borrowing that from Michael Porter's book, Yourself Solid, which is an excellent book that that helped me a lot early on. Um, And red velvet rope policy means you have a very clear picture of who your ideal client, or in the case of a podcast, who your ideal guest is. And that is going to evolve over time. When you're starting out, no one knows you and no one cares, nor should they, you know, if they've never met you before, you're going to have a a much less strict policy and as more and more people come in i always have thought of it as a supply and demand problem the moment i'm feeling like stressed out from too much too many projects opportunities you know commitments that's where i go all right we need to we need to tighten things up and so that can mean uh raising rates stopping projects and clients and thinking hard about it that like i that aren't adding value that we don't like um and same with guests, like having a over time a clear and clear picture of this is a valuable guest for the show. And so that became like early on, it's very easy to book service people. So someone who has an app or a, an agency or a SaaS business that they're trying to promote, which of course, like, yeah, of course they want to promote it. Um, those are very easy guests to book. So early on, we had a lot of that. But the more interesting, inspiring ones are on 
merchant, e-commerce merchant entrepreneurs who have like, especially solopreneurs who have a journey to share. And so we would look, um, now, like I, I try to book those almost exclusively as guests, but it's there even now they're still, you know, it's harder to get, certainly harder to get than like other service providers. And do you find the majority of your guests now come, um, they're reaching out to you or do you still have to do a certain amount of reach out? Uh, we, we still, we get a, a lot of people reaching out, but for the, the really, the good, valuable, great guests, it's still me inviting them. It's still, um, it's less cold outreach. I'm not sure the last time I did a cold outreach, I used to, have to do a lot of that. And really two things happen. They either ignore you or they go, yeah, that sounds great. I'm flattered. Right. So there's no risk if you're thinking about this to doing the outreach. Um, the, uh, but mostly it's like now it's people I interact with where it's like, you know, they send me, they listen to the show and they sent me a thoughtful email or, um, you know, we, uh, we get on a call or we meet at an event and like within, with usually like within 20 minutes of talking to someone, I'm like, you would make your, your story, your journey, whatever it is they're telling me. I'm like, if this is interesting to me, this will be interesting to the audience. This could make a really good engaging guest. And certainly I have to be interested in it to make it, to have it have that dynamic energy. I remember I recorded a, an episode that I didn't, my heart wasn't in it. And someone who I was friends with was like, so you didn't like that guy, huh? I was like, what? How could you tell? What do you mean? Did I say something? He's like, you didn't say anything. It's just listening to the show is different than the others. Like, I was like, shit. <laughs> so now Ooh. I know if it's not, if it's not an interesting to me topic or guest, I can't do it. Cause like, I don't want to, it wasn't that guy's fault at all. Like, I don't want to put somebody on blast like that unintentionally. So who was it? No, I'm kidding. Um, so, <laughs> so it was a what? perfectly <laughs> legitimate guy too. It wasn't his fault. No, I get it. There, there is no. Um, uh, I think. I think the quote is something like, "There are no boring people." Um, you know, if if you find someone boring, um, you know, either there's not a connection, or um, you haven't quite got to the the thing that they're most passionate about. And 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 you know, when people are speaking about their passion, it's very hard not to be interested when someone's truly lit up about you know whatever it is they're passionate. About. I was chatting to a guy. That's a great weekend. point. Yes. I was yeah. chatting to a guy about the different types of plastic in his 3D printers just at the weekend. Okay. Um, it's not something I regularly do. It wasn't a conversation I was expecting, but he genuinely was really, really interested, and that made me interested. Do you know that there's a, a type of plastic that's infused with wood so that you can 3D print it like plastic, but it smells like wood, and you can sand it down, and it looks like wood? I No, I didn't. That's fascinating. <laughs> the <laughs> um, What was I going to say? Oh, well, you had said, hey, you know, what's some of the your advice for someone considering a podcast? And I said, you know, over time, you're going to figure out who a good guest is. That's that's what I was talking about. You uh, said it very succinctly. You need to find people who are passionate about what they do. Like if you see them lighting up and getting excited, that's contagious. That's not that that's hard to resist. And, you know, one of the unfortunate parts about video and about audio is it really you can't see the person's uh, face. Well, you don't. You don't have that sense of like dynamic emotion that you get in person in real life. So that passion is really important to keeping things interesting. Do you believe that one day maybe podcasts will become video, like maybe iTunes will figure out a way whereby maybe video will be included somehow? Well, I saw actually, it's funny you say that. I saw an article yesterday um, that podcasts posted to YouTube do extraordinarily well. Um, which is interesting because YouTube is so, it, 
so competitive and tough to get a foothold there versus where podcasts, yeah, like certainly this is the year of the podcast, but I've got friends launching podcasts and they're still like getting listeners and successful from day one, which is very interesting. Um, the beauty of the medium is that you don't have to watch it. Mm. Um, so I don't, I think it's already there. I think if someone wants to do video, they're going to post it to YouTube. And if they want to do audio, they're going to post it to iTunes. But I don't think it's going to be like, you know, a format shift. I mean, blogs have been around for 20 years and it's still just an article in an RSS feed, right? That is true. And so in terms of your podcast, are there any sort of um, horror stories or interesting um, things that we can all have a, a laugh just intimately, you and me and all the listeners, um, about <laughs> that, uh, that you know, may have happened on any podcast, um, which we can maybe take a lesson from? So as a host, I, you have to be willing to just to throw out a bad episode um, to, to maintain quality. And early on, that's not a thing we did because it was, they were, it was tough to get guests and it was tough to produce the show for us. Now, less so. I've thrown out, um, off the top of my head, there's three episodes I've thrown out. One for the person was rambling, one for a poor connection, and one because the person kept going back to politics, which, like, that's fine. It's just not for my show. Yeah. As a guest, the most horrifying thing I ever did, this is the first time I'm ever sharing this, I clipped my nails <laughs> under my desk while being interviewed. I couldn't hear it in the monitor in my headphones, and I had it under the desk, etc. I really was quite convinced that no one could hear this. The episode plays, launches and plays. I listened to it. Sure enough, l loud and clear, you can hear me clipping my nails. I, to this, that was years ago. I am horrified retelling that now. <laughs> I absolutely love that. I mean, was it a long podcast? How, many, I mean, how long was the nail clipping going on for? Yeah, I'm sure it was a few minutes, but it's still like... God, what was I thinking? I'm like multitasking over here in the worst way possible. <laughs> oh, I, I, I love that. Um, and so um, you've obviously um, grown um, as, a, as a podcast host. And um, so what, you, you mentioned earlier on the, the, uh, that you have to be interested in, in the guests and they have to have another interesting story. But what else, what other kind of things, for, for, those of, uh, for those in the audience that are interested in listening to your podcast, which you should definitely name drop again, um, <laughs> what, uh, what kind of guests do you well, Why was it again in air quotes? <laughs> no, it's not you. I, I've already mentioned the name of your podcast. I was saying it's no. your turn. I don't know why the air quotes came out. Um, it's just it's a problem. Thank the you for... unofficial Shopify podcast. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Thank you, and, and the audience thanks you as well. Um, yeah. In terms of so, who what who do you interview? Why like what should people listen to? All right. So number one, if you're going to start listening to it, listen to just start with January 2019. I, that's where. We're always progressively getting better, and I think that's where we, we really nail the format. Um, and the, the format now is every twice a week, I interview a, uh, an e-commerce entrepreneur. So it's going to be Shopify merchants sharing their journey and what they learned along the way. So it's equal parts like, here, what would you have done differently? What, have you, what lessons have you learned? And that like inspiration and that journey. I think those things are, are equally valuable. And then uh, twice a month, my business partner and I pick a, a theme and listener questions and we run through those and discuss it. So like our, our top, the top two episodes that he and I did together were uh, respectively building the perfect homepage and building the perfect product page. And we just talk through our own work and why we think, you know, things work a certain way um, for guest interviews. Uh, I think 
number I think the number one is with uh, Sully Tyler Sully Sullivan from Bomb Tech Golf, in which he's very open and talks through like, hey, here's how I grew my brand start to finish and how I he's got um, and he gives like exact revenue numbers. You know, it's in the seven figures on like here's how I run um, this uh, this golf business, selling golf manufacturing and selling golf clubs. And he had it down to like true four hour work week at some point. And then later, this episode's not out yet. He comes back, does an interview in which he's like, yeah, the problem with that was customer service took a hit. So now he works more. And it, like the follow up episode is talking about why he should have why there were those dangers to the four hour work week and what he did to fix it. So um, <laughs> I that stuff's interesting, right? If like you in that position, you can relate to it. Oh yeah, I, I think I think probably um, I'm not alone in saying that seeing the kind of highlight reel that most people show on social media is right. far less interesting than than actually hearing the kind of problems and how they were overcome. Because truly, that's you know we learn from our mistakes as entrepreneurs. We have to make mistakes as entrepreneurs, right? And the the quicker you can make those mistakes, the quicker you're going to be successful, frankly. And um, you know, and that's definitely where the value is. And yeah, one of the the mindset shifts that I have adopted this year is let's fail more. Like if you're not failing enough, it's because you're not taking enough risks, right? So you should look at those. Um, if you've watched um, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, she said, when you throw something out, you thank it. You say, well, thank you for teaching me that I don't like this kind of shirt, right? So that's how I approach it with mistakes you've made. It's like, all right, that wasn't a mistake. I learned that that doesn't work or I learned that that's not for me. And suddenly, like that shift happens, and oh, it's very, uh, it's very freeing. Hmm. No, I agree. And do you do you regularly frank, uh, thank your underwear? Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no. I I I found the perfect underwear. I found uh, this mesh underwear uh, I buy off Amazon. It's wonderful, made by Ex Officio, and so it's so perfect. I don't have to thank it for failing me. Ah, uh, you just thank it for supporting you. Yes, I thank it for its its excellence and breathability. Nice. Um, so let's let's move away from your underwear. Um, in terms of uh, so you mentioned there's three episodes that you've actually had to just go. Eh. Do you? I'm curious. How um, did you inform the guest that that it's not going to fly? And if so, like how do you? What's your tactful way of uh, telling guests that they haven't quite made the cut? I don't. I <laughs> They either so they'll. You know, some people are busy and they'll, they'll, it'll slip their mind and they won't mention it. If someone does follow up like, Hey, when that is that episode coming out? Um, I will say, Oh man, the, the, my producer cut it. So it doesn't, it's not my fault anymore. It's my producer cut it because it, uh, of, of poor audio quality. And sometimes they'll be like, all right, let's, uh, let's rerecord it. And if it is, you know, um, when they're, they're willing when they offer to do that, I have always said, okay, and let's let's give it another try. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. And so fast forward, um, so did you say, first off, you said 1st of January 2019 is when people, when you hit your stride, did you? That's I, really well, recent. yes, and it's that's where like the format change happens. That's, I think, um, that's where I, I, I'm very proud of it. Um, we get new audio gear and new format and I get uh, more aware of of just trying to drive the interview in an interesting fashion. Um, but the, you know, the, the two years prior to that are, there's some, some very good interviews in there too. Like the, what the Sully episode is from 2018. So. And what do you think makes a good episode? If the, the person walks, if you listen to it, this is what I've had. Uh, I've, I've heard for people more than once they go, 
I had to re-listen to it to take notes. And so, like, the first listen is, did this inspire you enough to listen to it again to take notes? And those, when they say take notes, they're really saying, like, I'm going to write down action items for myself. Your episode became a to-do list for me. So I view that as, like, you know, if I, um, if someone says, hey, let you know, if I take somebody out to lunch and they to talk about their their business or uh, we do a consulting call or even they listen to the podcast. If they walk away with things to do with homework, I said, you feel like you have homework. That's how I, I know it was a success. I like that. I like that. And in terms of, um, so you must have seen thousands of Shopify stores by this point um, and seen, um, you know, probably patterns of failure. How do you see, or, or what, how would you, um, what would be like the top top three things or top five things or something that you see time and time again, like the, the most common um, failings that um, that you see? Sure. So the, well, from a, a design perspective, I'll tell you the one that absolutely drives me nuts and that like every merchant screws up. Their main menu navigation is not focused on shopping. And right now, like if you have an e-commerce store, if your menu said the first link is home, you fucked up. All right, don't no home link. Get rid of that. Everyone knows they can click back or click the logo. So let's not do that. Is your store about shopping or is it about the dumbass support pages that you have in a dropdown called info? No, of course it's not. Like all that, everything that's not shopping should be in a secondary menu or the footer. The main menu should be exclusively about shopping. And the mistake I see over and over again is there's one tiny little dropdown that just says shop. And then under that are all the categories. So wait, the most important part, the primary call to action that you want people to take, you buried behind a four-letter drop-down menu? Like, well, of course the cart rate's low. You hid the shopping from them. So, like, if as soon as I see a shop menu with a drop-down, I go, all right, get rid of everything else and everything in that drop-down, that's now your main menu. Like, that's the easiest thing to do. And you'll the reason is, if you could drive someone to your homepage, that's half the battle. The thing you need them to do is to look at a damn product. If you can get them to start shopping, if you can get them to start browsing at all, that is the difference between walking past your storefront and walking into it. They only visited the homepage. They just walk past the storefront. They're not helping you. Um, if you can get them to start just to click through to anything, they are significantly more likely to add an item to cart to buy an item. So don't, don't bury that. And look at like any major site, Best Buy, Target, Walmart. There's no like about us, info, our story, content, like home. You are never going to find any of that in the main menu. It is going to be exclusively shopping categories. I think that's an amazing answer, and I would be a fool not to say, and what's your second one? I promise <laughs> this will be the last. I'm not going to ask a third, just the second one. So the second one, um, a, uh, a mistake I see a lot of people make, they focus on the, the store itself, the front end, and then when you get to checkout, they just give up. Like It is stunning to me, the number of Shopify stores I see, where the checkout doesn't have a logo, They've not added, changed the colors or fonts. They have done nothing to optimize the checkout, which is the real important part where people, I mean, that is, that's where they are, they're literally typing in their most intimate 16 digits, their credit card number to a total stranger. I mean, if you think about it, an online store, really like you're not paying rent to anyone. There's no business license. It is the equivalent of a stranger in a parking lot popping their trunk going, hey, you want to buy some t-shirts? Just give me your credit card number. Like, holy shit, I can't believe anyone buys anything online. But we do, and for that reason, you need to make it really trustworthy, and part of trustworthiness is professionalism, right? That is going to make it feel safe. So in the checkout, 
Upload your logo. Oh my God, I shouldn't have to say this, but it's like half of stores miss this. Upload your logo. And then here's the, the clever part. As part of the logo, underneath it, include a little tagline that says, questions, call us with your toll-free number. And if you're saying, I don't have a toll-free number, go get one. They're 30 bucks a month from Grasshopper, Ring Central, Google, whatever. Go get a damn toll-free number because you're a big boy business and it's time to put your big boy business pants on. Um, the And then... Uh, style the checkout, you know, just pick fonts and button colors that match. We want to use color isolation theory. Ideally, your add to cart, reach checkout, and complete order buttons look the same. They're all the same color. If you want to get really fancy, you can edit languages in the theme. I like to rename payment method to secure payment method. Nothing fancy, nothing difficult. Um, and then really dial in your shipping options. So I see stores do one of two things. They list out a dozen shipping options, in which case, congrats, you have guaranteed choice paralysis. Or they have a single ambiguous shipping option that's just like standard shipping. The fuck is standard shipping? What does that mean? Like, uh, are you, is a bike courier going to take it? Is it carrier pigeon? Is it dr- what is it? People have strong opinions on shipping because everyone's had a package that they have missed or lost. Like that's that's the hard part. I give you the money, you send me the package. So you need to make it clear what that transaction looks like. Set my expectations. So let's say you always ship it prior USPS priority mail in the US. Great, people trust that. So now your standard shipping options should be USPS priority mail and then parentheses, right? Four to six days transit time. That way they know you have busted that huge objection up front. In e-commerce, there are no gods but shipping. So I tend to like two shipping options. Give them a free or standard option and give them an expedited shipping option. So in this example would be you can have priority mail for free or you can have express mail for a $10 upcharge. Done. That is awesome, right? And if you look at Amazon, like that's how they do it. They'll be like, all right, you want the standard shipping, the two-day or the one-day? Simple. And never, I max I would do is four choices. And the fourth one should just be there to make the others look cheaper. But ideally, just do the two. I love that. Absolute bombs, um, bombs dropping um, left, right. So I feel like I feel like the audience, one, is taking notes, two, has a to-do list, and three, is going to come back and listen. So congrats. You're sort of ticking boxes left, right, and center. And Thank so you. What, what do you do, um, like fast forward to now, like how do you uh, spend your time, Kurt? Like what, what, um, what is your main focus and then, and then sub-focuses? So I'd say uh, our business is, is broken our business and our days is broken into three things. Number one is consulting services. We have always been a consultancy, um, and certainly the shift has focused less from hands work and more to brains work. So we're still a front end development shop, but it is driven by by strategy, by like genuine consulting. So most uh, projects start with a UX audit in which we go through and we look for those thing, those quick wins, those things that I identified, and then back it up with data like heat maps, scroll maps, customer surveys. Oh man, customer surveys are one of the most amazing things uh, for gathering data and figuring out why people buy. And then for conversion rate optimization, make that your position, part of your positioning statement, part of your headline. Copywriting is your number one tactic. Well, that's not part of front end development, but that's, you know, it, it's valuable. So that's when I say, you know, that, that brains work, that's what I mean. Um, so that's number one for sure. And number two is the the podcast. It is both our number one lead gen source. It is a fabulous way to to build goodwill and give back to the community. And Shopify has a wonderful ecosystem, so I think that's important. And um, it does uh, through sponsorships. It it makes good money. Um, and the then the the third one uh, would be our apps. So less uh, I really I it's almost like more of a side hustle. But we have three apps in the Shopify app store that that do all right. And it, um, 
It's actually a, an interesting way to grow an email list as well. It's just to, to have apps in the app store. But I like having that out there um, as a, even just as a way for um, people to get access to like some of the things we recommend in an incredibly economical way, like pay $10 a month for an app to have this one conversion boosting thing. Phenomenal. And so um, right now, who are the who are the kind of people that you're helping at EtherCycle? Um, who's your describe your ideal client in case they they happen to be listening right now and want to know do I do I uh, match the criteria? I love so what really what we look for is what I call it uh, a validated brand. So I'm not and I I want genuine entrepreneurs like bootstrap solopreneurs, family businesses, people with with interesting ideas and drive and passion that are here to build a, uh, a, a durable long-term business to support themselves. Like that's, that's what I'm here for. And so it's what I relate to and what I respect. If you're doing other things, that's totally fine. And we may work, but it's not, um, it's not my, my core competency. Within that, I'd love um, you know, lifestyle brands, consumer product goods. The two things I've seen that, that work really well are brands that solve a pain. So if it is something that solves a literal pain or problem, you have made your life fantastically easier or um, brands that that in some way increase the user's status. So like lifestyle brands, things that are cool. And uh, we just, because I'm a car guy, we happen to do a lot of work with automotive brands. So like two of our biggest clients or three of our biggest clients are all automotive. It'd be um, Jay Leno's Garage, which is car detailing gear, Adam's Polishes, which is detailing supplies. And, um, and they take an interesting, really interesting approach. It's a great brand. And then uh, Hoonigan, which is this big automotive lifestyle brand with Ken Block as their, their head Hoonigan. Nice. And do you have a kind of minimum criteria in terms of revenue so that you have enough data? So I try to treat it more um, by audience size and purchases. Like if you have, and that's why I say like uh, we look for a validated business. So it's one that is consistently selling. I really don't care if you're, you know, the business makes a few thousand dollars a month. If it's consistently selling that like we've and you've been doing it for a few months, uh, now we can get data. We could talk to people. We could see we could find out why people are buying and we can ask people why they aren't buying. It's when you have a brand new thing that like no one's ever done before. Those are the toughest brands to get going. That's where it's like I got to be really excited, interested and on board with it because there's a lot of risk there. Like I want to bring wins for people and I know and the audience building is absolutely the hardest part. So if you don't have that audience and you're not making sales yet, it's very tough to, to do the work. And so if people want to start their journey with you, where can they go? Uh, well, actually, Google me, Kurt Elster, KurtElster.com. Sign up for my newsletter. and just for That email is my real email address that it sends from. So reply to it. Ask me a question. It's usually a, a, a great way to start to build a relationship. Or if you're like, man, I just want to throw money at this dude. Our agency site is uh, ethercycle.com, and there's a, an application form up there to get started. Love that. All right. Okay. So um, at this point in the interview, we typically change pace. We go into the rapid fire question round. Um, I'll ask the questions quickly. You can take as long as you want, and sometimes we will tangent the fuck out of it. But we will always get back to the, the central question thing. Um, is that cool with you? Two thumbs up? Cool. Yes. Two yes. thumbs up? Cool. Hit me. Is it two thumbs up? Cool. Yes, it's two. Th- All right, here you go. Is this what you wanted? Is this what, what you wanted? Kurt's got his thumbs on the screen now, which is what we wanted. Right, let's let's hit it. Right, Kurt, are there any unusual things you eat or drink regularly, and why? Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, I don't know about if it's unusual, but I I love spicy food. 
and like absurdly painfully spicy like ghost pepper popcorn that's like my my secret diabolical treat just tears it's not everywhere because i love there's a local taco place we get lunch at and they have this habanero salsa they know me as the habanero salsa guy because i'm the only person who's like i need an extra side of that to just pour directly over the tacos everyone who walks past that in that place goes holy crap you eat that just straight and so, so yeah i'd love spicy food and so um why is that well first off i was i've always been curious whether the whether the the, the guys in the in the curry houses eating the the the, the fowl or the vindaloo or the, the really spicy curries oh whether, vindaloo is a favorite like, <clears throat> like i've always wondered like when you when you're super into really really spicy food do you still feel it like do you still feel the pain um and if so or if not like what's the why behind it like the the spicy food like why do you, you want the pain a hundred percent i believe it is a kind of masochism it uh there's there's health benefits to it but it it, it creates an endorphin rush so it's very much like as long as you can keep inflicting the tongue pain on yourself you're it becomes an, an addictive process um because you get that that endorphin release as as the burn happens i don't know um i'm uh my mom's family's from mexico i'm i'm part mexican and i grew up eating uh a lot of mexican food and a lot of like really spicy stuff so i assume that's where that comes from um and my mom was the same way but yeah i don't know i i love it and it's just one of those things that progresses over time it's like starts with red pepper and then tabasco sauce and now i'm eating like ghost pepper popcorn and lamb vindaloo it's just it's brutal i i seek to abuse my tongue so it's like bungee jumping for food i think so yeah <laughs> i like that how do you get yourself into a state of flow that's a good question uh i have that's something i'm always chasing but i think um me, uh, absolutely music and noise helps uh i years ago built a site called rainy cafe that played a sound loop of uh a thunderstorm and a sound loop of a noisy cafe and these were like licensed things i built it for myself but then lifehacker posted it had a million downloads it was a big thing and i sold it and it's still out there uh, but i 100 percent like in silence my mind just wanders but if i have you know headphones on with music or some background noise then suddenly i don't know if it's like i've taught myself that that means it's work time or that um it you know having to push that out of your brain makes you focus but i try try comparing between silence and background noise or silence and music and i think it makes i really think you're more productive with something in the background that you have to actively tune out i totally agree have you ever tried binaural beats i have uh it works but i don't think it works like i didn't feel it worked any differently than just like you know listening to anything else what habit or opinion do you have that other people tend to disagree with? Jeez. <laughs> uh, hey, Paul, what habit or opinion do I have that people tend to disagree with? Yeah, he also looks, he's like, what? Jeez. Um, trying to think of what my controversial opinion is. I'm sure I have them, and I'm sure I have annoying habits, but I have no idea yeah, off the top of my head. Oh, okay. Okay. Des uh, design is way less important than people think, and I believe this because several of the most successful stores I've I've seen, I've worked on, like stuff doing twenty million a year, have been like not just ugly designs, but like designs where stuff is just straight up broken. So if you have the right message, the right product, and qualified traffic, 
the a terrible design will not stop you in the slightest. That's the the stunning dark truth is, and as a result, people put an overemphasis on good design. Good design helps, but it's not in no way makes or breaks anybody. And I certainly, you know, design agencies are like rolling over at that one. But mm. well, yeah, I, I, and I totally agree with that. I've, I've said for a long time that um, you know, if your product or service is good enough, people will come to your front door or the boot of your car to buy it from you. Right? It doesn't matter um the design but yeah sure it helps it didn't take paul long to come up with that i'm also gonna um it did it took him yeah it took him a moment but he had it he was right (laughs) um if you ran a school but could only teach one non-traditional lesson what would that be oh well i mean well lesson lesson or life skill if i all right if less syllabus subject whatever you like however you interpret well certainly i would i would teach entrepreneurship um as a, a side gig postgraduate school, I taught entrepreneurship at a, a community college. Um, I think that like it's just a the American school system is really set up to create factory workers. It's like we're going to train people to go to work in a traditional office job, which is fine, but it just makes it seem like entrepreneurship just to many people seems like this foreign, risky, unattainable thing. That's always they're like, well, is it that risky? What happens if it doesn't work? What happens if you get fired from your job? Like if you're employed full time somewhere, you have one single point of failure for your entire income for your support system. And on top of that, it unless you're like at the top, you really have no control over what happens to you. It's completely fucking insane that people are like, that's the safe choice. Whereas with me, it's like, all right, I have the podcast that makes money. I have the consulting business that makes money and have the apps that makes money. Within each of those things, I have multiple clients. What are the chances that 12 clients fire me? Not going to happen, right? What are the chances that all four podcast sponsors disappear? Won't happen. What are the chances that all three apps like lose all their clients? You, by being an entrepreneur, you wildly diversify your risk. Now, up front, getting the business started, obviously, that is, that's the difference. I, like, I'm saying it from a survivor bias where it worked for me. So I'm like, what well, doesn't everybody do this? But to me, like it is just it is baffling and galling when someone with a single full time job is like, aren't you afraid of of risk? Absolutely. Aren't you? Oh, my God. <laughs> and then five minutes later, they leave crying <laughs> and <laughs> they go cry in their car. No. <laughs> so did you just give the keynote for that particular um, lesson just then? Or, or like what what would you be teaching when you're teaching entrepreneurship? Like what are the bullet points? I think that was it. I mean, I think it was, well, look for your unfair advantages there. You probably have more than, you know, and leverage those advantages. Like if you're in the army, you know, you never give up an advantage, right. In, um, you know, in, in a situation, you could do the same thing with your own life. Maybe it's someone, you know, maybe it's a skill you have. It's probably a passion or interest you have. If you have those things, can you turn them into a side hustle? Like I'm not saying go quit your job, but can you turn one of those things into a side hustle that sustains you, that fuels you creatively, that's interesting for you? And that will naturally help you build that audience and start getting going. And don't even worry about making money up front. Worry about just building the audience. And then from there, the business will will develop out of that. I think that is that is the safe and sane way for just someone without experience to approach entrepreneurship. Um, Love that. And if, I've, if I have to pick a single life lesson, it's, Understand the difference between um, pleasure and happiness. Like if I if I beat if I play some video game, right? If I play Doctor Mario on my phone, 
that's pleasure. It's fine. Um, but if you if you make something, if you produce something, you put something out in the world, that that high from completion from productivity, that's happiness. So uh, an entrepreneurship teacher in college taught us that on our last day in senior year is like, I'm going to teach you the secret of the secret to life. And that was that was the secret to life. Love that. I love that. I hope that doesn't detract from one of the later questions, but we'll see. What book had or books had the biggest impact on your life? Oh, geez, I've got a pile of books. Hit me. Um, hit me. I love that. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm going to go look at my pile, of, my, my pile of books right now. I'll be right back. Sure, I'll just wait here. So Kurt has left the, uh, the stage, if you like. He has um, turned in his ginormous leather-clad, very comfy-looking, royalistic chair and is now back and now he put his headphones on i have he returned can hear, he can hear what i'm saying i now. saw it <laughs> i saw it and immediately knew that this was the right choice <laughs> um the chair yeah oh yes i love the yeah chair. so yeah uh, orin claff wrote oh. a book called um oh shit i already forgot i forgot the name fucking god okay. damn it <laughs> now he's googling god now i'm googling it changed your life that's the question Pitch Anything by Orrin Claff. Ah. And I actually don't care about the pitching part of the book. What blew my mind, and I was, you know, I had said I was an, an introvert. Uh, I think of myself as a recovering introvert because I had this really, I was an extrovert with horrible social anxiety. It was a terrible thing to be. And in uh, Pitch Anything, he introduces this concept and brings it up throughout the book called frame control, in which an interaction between any two people Who's, who's dominating the conversation? Who has the upper hand? And he frames it as, like, in business and in most things, it's really just a game. And he is willing to, like, push buttons and, and uh, push the edge. Uh, once you are aware of that concept of frame control that he introduces in there, it is absolutely fascinating. So if someone, like, here's a, an easy example. You're trying to get, uh, trying to get time on the phone with someone. And or they're trying to get time on the phone with you, and you're say, hey, uh, can you just pick a time on my Calendly link? And they then reply with, oh, well, can you book a time on my Calendly link? Well, now it turns into this weird. Well, can you just send me a calendar invite? It's turned into this weird battle in which who who has the upper hand here? And like that's a, a simple example, um, but. That, like that's the concept of frame control. I've wildly butchered it, but oh my gosh, read, read, pitch anything. Look for the stuff about frame control. It's only you know like a fourth of the book. Um, absolutely fascinating. And what later I learned is Orrin Claff, who pitches these uh, like huge seven-figure VC deals, is his thing. He, as a consultant, um, he used to do um, like dating uh, success guides, that kind of thing. And that's that's where part of these concepts are coming from. So it's interesting to see that like dating ideas and like get laid type books, you know, that kind of spammy early 2000s Internet stuff to see that later applied to this incredible money making strategy. Hmm. Pitch anything or in frame control. There you go. Boom. I love it. And I love the explanation as well. And just just um, I mean, real, real short answer needed here. But is, is the is the point to have frame control or to not have frame control? It is well. I think his point was to have frame control. My point is to be aware of it. Once you recognize it, that it's like, wait a second. It's whether or not someone is subtly manipulating you. Like okay. once you become aware of it, 
it's like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. The goal is to 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 make me in some way to subjugate me in like the most subtle of psychological ways. And so now you'll have um, frame paranoia. Yes. Yeah. Once you know it, it's hard to unsee it. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, I'm, def- I'm definitely going to try and see it anyway, and I'm probably going to try ghost popcorn and die as well. So, um, but we'll mo- we'll move on anyway for the f- my final ever podcast, um, as it may well be. Um, what does the first thirty to sixty minutes of your day look like, and when does it start? Uh, I get up at six a.m. I would like it to be earlier. It used to be 5.30, and that was ideal. Uh, but right now, I, I get up at 6 a.m. I uh, immediately, I drink a, a giant, I drink 32 ounces of water, because that's just the bottle I have. So I, I want to stay hydrated. I think that's important. I'm 36 now. I'm more interested in my health. I then do, I attempt to do, I don't always succeed, I attempt to do 40 push-ups in 60 seconds to start my day uh, with my, my 32 ounces of water. And then uh, I hop in the shower and I listen to NPR. I got a Bluetooth shower speaker that I think is is fabulous, and that's that's how I get my day started. Nothing crazy. I like that. And and I'm curious. Do you do the push ups when you've already got that 32 ounces inside you, and no, thus you, you are heavier? Or yeah, you got to do the water for. Or you have to do the push ups first. Otherwise, it's just it's too big a risk. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, any advice for your previous boss or bosses in general? <laughs> Um, you need to compensate people fairly. I mean, one of the things, uh, we work with a lot of contractors and, uh, I always, I, I work out the profits and I always try to pay people 50, 50. Like I, I wanted, I know I could get away with, with paying them less, but I don't think it, it's fair. I want this egalitarian, uh, relationship. Hmm, like that. Where do you go or what do you do to get inspired? Ooh. Ooh, good question. Um, Paul, Paul, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, it's it, it's the podcast. It, it's talking. It's talking to entrepreneurs. So even if we'll do like a thirty-minute consultation call with someone for the first time, that's hearing people's stories. That's the stuff that excites and inspires me. Like that, and so and, and so that's the podcast. Perfect. You've got that that daily dose of inspiration. Fantastic. If I gave you five thousand dollars, how would you double it in twenty-four hours? Oh my gosh, that's a phenomenal question. All right, if I had $5,000 and I want to double it quickly and I'm going to leverage my existing assets, I have an audience, I can create info products, I am going to use it, the $5,000, to run a campaign to pre-sell an online course about about e-commerce, about entrepreneurship, maybe about starting your first podcast, but I would pick something that's how I would do it, is info product pre-sale. Smart. What's the best advice ever given to you? Oh, shit. Oh, shit. The best advice ever given to me was a therapist who, like, mindset shift. She said, Kurt, you're too hard on yourself. I said, utterly changed my life because I had literally never considered this concept or even remotely to it that I was overly critical, overly hard on myself, constantly punishing myself for not achieving more. So I was in this like permanent state of, of eustress um, that I wasn't, wasn't excelling as fast as someone else. When I realized 
you have you, you can't live like that. It's maddening. Um, so celebrating wins, being harder on myself, accepting that like, man, if I'm just not like if I'm struggling to do something, maybe it's time to just walk away from it and give myself a break. And there's nothing wrong with that. So rather than than fight through it and beat myself up about it, just be easier on yourself, be kinder to yourself. So that those uh, those you're too hard on yourself. That was the the most phenomenal advice that my expensive therapist gave me. Fantastic advice. What silly thing should people do more of? You know, I think uh, no one silly thing. Be silly at all in online content. You were saying like, man, every, social media is everybody's highlight reel. You never see anyone being like silly or being themselves. It's always you know these like ridiculous quotes or these over the top stories with these um, these airbrushed, photoshopped photos. Just be yourself, be honest, but have fun. It doesn't have to be like here's here's the problems that I had and how I overcame them. That's fine. There's a place for that. But like no one just wants to be silly anymore. It's very strange. How do you, how are you silly? Give me an example of your uh, something silly you've done recently. Oh, I. Uh, so my the my creative outlet has weirdly become Instagram stories. I post Instagram stories all the time and I like to create just 15 second videos. So rather than like I'll edit pre-edit the video down to 15 seconds and then upload it as a story. Um and we'll, uh with those things it's just just uh, my everyday life and and screwing around and like not not trying to pitch anything, sell anything, impress anybody. That's just just what we're up to. Um I think my favorite was uh, we did the the Mentos Diet Coke thing, and you know you pour Mentos into a Diet Coke bottle, it, it like explodes, like it goes sprays Coke ten feet in the air. And I filmed this in slow mo with my kids, so you had the reaction of my kids, including my two year old. But the moment the slow mo video ends, you hear her go, "Oh no, mess!" And that <laughs> I thought was absolutely fantastic. Brilliant. Um, would you rather fight one horse sized duck or a hundred duck sized horses? I'm going to go with the the horse-sized duck. I think you want a a single enemy as opposed to a horde. And I think the horde is going it's going to overwhelm you unless you've like a flamethrower. So do you do you have any does any is any strategy immediately um springing to mind for the for the one horse-sized duck? No. No, oh my god. I think well, I don't know, my you wife has start a, preparing. Yeah, in case this happens. I know my wife has a large pickup truck. We could try running the duck over. I think, yeah, I think a, a pickup truck would win that particular battle. Yeah. What car do you drive? I have a uh, a Jaguar F-Type. Hmm. Lovely. The, the Jaguar two-seater. Nice. I, I think there's a certain. I, I love the car. I used to have a two seater, and, and I got a dog and, and family and stuff, and so I no longer had the two seater. But there's a certain statement that a two seater says that kind of like, I've only got room for one, folks, and that's if I haven't got a large bag. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's something about it. I I love the the purity of purpose. Like this car gets you from A to B, and because I'm a purist, I have I have the manual, so I have the correct number of pedals, which is three, mm-hmm. and that. That entertains me to no end. Yeah, all the manual shifting and the. Ka-tsh. Yeah, it's like just it. like it turns every commute into something vaguely satisfying. It's a fast and furious sort of other way. In. I love that. How would you convince someone to do something good that they didn't want to do? You convince them that it would be stupid not to do it. So you have to knock out 
most people have objections. You have to knock out, figure out what the objections are, knock those out until it becomes abundantly obvious that you're missing out by not doing this. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot, I like that. I like that. And then, Kurt, and you've been absolutely phenomenal today. Um, final question. It's a big question. What makes you the happiest? Well, all right, so 100% uh, quality time with my wife makes me the happiest. But that is only enabled by success through entrepreneurship, right? M the mindset I've adopted is that money is a tool to buy back your time. And so when making money, like when that, you know, the, the Stripe thing, you get the, the push notification of like thousands of dollars has moved to your account. That, of course, is very exciting, but that's, that's fleeting. It's what that enables. It's that, that quality time, being able to take my family on a vacation to Disney World. That is, that's what makes me the happiest. Love that. Money is a tool to buy back your happiness. I've always said money is a tool, um, but actually that, 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 yeah. that's good. I like that. The tool to buy back your time. Fantastic. And so I, that's basically the, uh, the end of the interview. But at this point, I'd like to ask, um, have you got any asks or requests of the audience? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I want, you, I want you to do two things. Number one, send out more emails. No entrepreneur is sending enough emails. And that is still, I think, the number one way for most businesses to make money. And number two, as long as we're on the topic of emails, sign up for my newsletter. Ask me a thoughtful question, KurtElster.com. I love that. Kurt, you've been phenomenal. You're, um, you're a cheeky, funny, um, engaging guy. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for taking the time, for showing off your big, royal-looking throne chair. Um, for those of you just listening, you need to watch the video to see that. Thank you for being humble. Thank you for being authentic in yourself. And um, thank you for taking the time today to be on the Smart Destiny podcast. This is the best interview I've done. I've done in a year. I appreciate it, truly. Hey, Martin here again with an audio goodie bag of a bonus before you head off. First up, I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did, please subscribe and follow Smarter Destiny across iTunes, YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. It really helps spread our message and you'll get valuable content along the way too. Secondly, if you have an e-commerce business or are thinking of starting one, grab a copy of my new book, 1% Secret, recommended by Kevin Harrington and a host of other elite guys even better it's free just help out with the shipping costs so head to smarterdestiny.com forward slash book to grab your free copy thanks so much and i'll see you on the next episode